Greetings, my creative friends, and welcome to another episode of RTAF Podcast. Thank you for being here. This week, my guest is Ashley Ann Austin. Ashley is a glass blower living in Minneapolis, Minnesota, or right outside there, I believe. In this episode, we get into Ashley's backstory, how she serendipitously became a glass blower post-college during the recession around 2008-2010. We talk about Coogee sweaters, the fascination of Ashley's. And you can see the influence of Coogee in the way that she makes her glass art as well. If you're not familiar with Coogee sweaters, it's the one that Biggie Smalls wore while he was counting cash. Became an iconic fashion brand back in the 90s. We get into that a little bit. We get into self-care, you know, what she thinks the most difficult aspect of blowing glasses, and uh, a lot of other cool things in this one. It was nice to meet you, Ashley. Dig your work, and uh, great talking to you on this one. No new patrons to announce this week, but if you would like to change that next week, please go to patreon.com slash rcaf podcast where you will find ways that you can support three different tiers four dollars eight dollars sixteen dollars and as always big shout outs to everybody still out there supporting me i'm at about 150 per month which is about 85 percent away from my goal of a thousand but that's all right i'm gonna keep chugging along that's just enough to convince me to keep doing this so if you'd like to hear me keep doing this consider it if not you can share you can tell your friends about it you can like review subscribe on all platforms that you listen to podcasts on and i think that's about it for the intro here's ashley and austin aka triple a Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Yeah, and thanks for thanks for agreeing and reaching out to to be on the podcast. I took a look at your work and I really like it. Thanks. It's very cool. Likewise. Uh, thank you. Um, so yeah, I would just I usually I start with people's story as it relates to their art. Um when was the first time that you remember like glass as an art form coming into your consciousness? Well, glass in general. Um, my mom was a stained glass artist my whole life. Oh, wow. Okay. So I, I was born into that. Yeah. And she was doing that before I was born. Um, and she would, you know, she was a stay at home mom, but to, in order to do her art, she would have me go to daycare so she could have her like, you know, art time. And then she would do like, art fairs and stuff like that and so I grew up just kind of going to all these art fairs and stuff and I never even had it in my consciousness that I was going to do glass at all yeah I went to college and you know I was like oh artists don't make enough money I'm gonna get a real job (laughs) and Mm. so I studied architecture and and then when I graduated college 
um, like I, I studied architecture at first and then I did a little bit of art and, and then uh, I ended up graduating with an anthropology degree. And then I graduated during the recession. Yeah, and I did too. I kind of just like stumbled upon pipe making, like, cause you know, during the recession, it was hard to find any work without any experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had the glass stained glass experience at least. And yeah. then I had like, one, my mom bought me and my sister a class in, I guess I was in probably 11th grade. Mm-hmm. My mom bought me and my sister a bead making class. Nice. A glass bead making class where you like take a, a hothead torch, you put it on map gas and you like make little beads and stuff. Yeah. So we did that like four hour class when I was in high school and she was like, she's four years younger than me. So she must've been like 13, 14 years old with all these like older women, like we're the youngest ones in the class. <laughs> and so I just used that on my resume after I graduated college. Nice. And I found uh, where I just happened to kind of stumble upon this ad in a window and it was a, a head shop. Okay. And it was so- a head shop. It was pretty famous around us. So where where are you in Minneapolis? Yep. Nice. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, you know, the culture wasn't as developed even back in 2000, let's see, 2011, 2010 um, was when I graduated. I think I graduated in 2010. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It was like, I was like a super senior. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I feel you on that. Um. So wait, so you just walked by a building that had an ad out for uh, just a position that opened up in a, what, like a like a glass making shop? I don't know very much about um, making glass or the industry. I mean, I have several friends who are glass blowers, but I don't, you know, I don't know really anything about it. But Yeah, I mean, glass is funny. It's like, there's no straight, like, path you know for glass yeah it's a lot of people start in different ways and i was just kind of lucky that i stumbled upon this ad in the window uh but what is what it is it was it's called clown glass mm-hmm. uh, it was a pretty famous head shop um in minneapolis like all the college people all the you know all my homies in college like you get a piece of clown yeah um, because they made their own pieces and it was all their own work like they had their own glass blowers um, and like, you know, even people from South Dakota, Sioux Falls would like drive all the way to Minneapolis oh, wow. to go on glass to get their piece because it's illegal in, you know, North Dakota, South Dakota it was like very illegal back then. Yeah. So people would like drive in with your whole crew and like mm-hmm. make a thing of it. So I knew about clown glass, uh, in college, but I, I mean, I don't think I ever even bought a nice piece. And caught like you know before I made nice pieces, so I didn't really know about the culture at all mm-hmm. until I just like was like, oh, I actually qualify for this position, so I'm gonna give it a shot. Nice, nice. So yeah, like the glad the class and like my mom's um, you know experience with stained glass, and my dad actually is very handy, and they wanted people who could like work with tools and stuff. So I had experience working with tools and stuff. So 
uh, I was able to like land that job. And I was like, this sounds way cooler than some other $12 an hour job that I could oh, find for sure. For sure. during the recession. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I went with, uh, with whole foods right after college. That's legit too. Yeah. Like anything that would like align with my morals. I was like very anti like, uh, corporate America, anti-cubicle. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about Whole Foods though, is you're like, okay, sweet organic food. This is before Amazon bought them. And like, you know, you're thinking like, ah, oh, yeah, this is like, this is a cool like job. But then you get there and after about three months, I noticed that it's, it, it's so corporate even back then. Oh yeah. And, For sure. and people are just like, shoving each other off the ladder to try and get to the top and it's all this middle management like talking shit about each other and uh yeah eventually i was like i don't think this is for me um but your job sounds way cooler like it was it was a situation because Uh it was during the recession and so even the head shops were like struggling you know Mm -hmm. And then uh, the Chinese market and then the Indian, like all the import market came into play. Mm-hmm. And so I only was working there at Clown for like a year and a half before they like couldn't afford us anymore. Damn. Yeah. But so during that time period, did that just, was that a pivotal, it must've been a pivotal moment to like in your decision to start blowing glass as a profession, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, as soon as I like made, like, as soon as I basically was like started melting the glass, mm-hmm. it was kind of like, almost like I was accessing some sort of a past life thing. Yeah. Like it was just like clicked. and I knew like, this is it. Nice. So did you, did you have some, uh, you must've had like mentors maybe not there, but at some point along the way. Right. Um, again, I, like if I I would have to have someone like over my shoulder being like, this is what you do. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's other resources, you know, with the internet, of course, that could maybe get you started. But if you're, if you're working in as kind of like a job, you know, position for a head shop, there must've been someone there to, to help guide you in the process. Yeah, absolutely. It was really strict, actually, the way that we were trained. Uh-huh. Uh, like we, you know, the, the the clown glass had been established for a good decade before I was, you know, I joined the team. And so they had learned that if you teach everybody every part of the process, then they can just go on and quit and then start their own studio. So they had figured out by the time I joined that you only let people do like a portion of the process. Yeah. So it's like assembly line type deal. And so I was the finisher. So I would like finish the pipe. So I couldn't even make a, I was like not allowed to make a pipe. I mean, I guess I could have if I wanted to, but I was really into making marbles, um, Mm -hmm. making uh, like, they, what my job was, um, was I was, I would get all these pipes in a row and I would like have to make all the spoons, de- decorate them, right? Like put horns and spikes right. and, um, um, like draw frogs on it, like draw little spiders, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I would make the carb 
And then in the in a minute, PS in Minnesota, uh, I'm sure we call it a carb now, but mm-hmm. when I was young, we called it a choke. <laughs> I've heard I've heard both for sure. Yeah, is that's just like Minnesota lingo, I guess, or some people say that. It's like you choke the carb. Yeah. But then I would pop the carb and then I would like handle it off, take the handle off and it would make the mouthpiece, put it in the kiln. And if I didn't make at least six or finish at least 60 pipes a day, I'd get fired. Holy shit. Yeah. So it was like very strict. And like if you made a, a horn on something, mm-hmm. especially when you were first learning how to do it and they weren't like sure you were doing it properly, they would take your the pipe that you decorated and bang it on the table. And if you if it broke, you had to redo it. And they would tell you like what you did wrong. And if the if it chipped the the tip of it off, they're like, oh, it's too sharp. Don't make them this sharp. So it was very strict um, learning because at this place they were famous for being the head shop that would throw the pipe on the ground. Okay. Yeah. To prove like it's thick, it's strong. Yeah. So all the stuff that we made, it had to be durable enough to be thrown on the ground. <laughs> wow. So I, I guess that must have primed you at least with the finishing part, um, to just be really efficient and really, I guess, I don't know what the word is, um, uh, just building the pipes for durability, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And the technique was definitely learning. The technique was definitely really helpful for me, especially cause I only worked there for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was, it really taught me like, you know, I could, by the time, you know, the year and a half was over, I could take a piece of garbage looking spoon and make it look halfway decent and like make it look really cool. Mm-hmm. And it would be worth more right. than if it was just like a regular spoon with like a couple like magnifiers on it or something. Yeah. So like the finishing part was actually more important or, you know, like they always told me it was the more creative part because... Mm-hmm. We had to take every, I mean, if I got like 20 spoons in a row, I had to make all, every single spoon different. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah. So it's like, how can you create variety? How can you make it like, you have to make it really strong. So the training was really valuable um, for making really quality pieces. So I definitely really appreciate what they taught me for that um, because when you're learning on your own, it might've taken me twice as long or, you know, even longer to figure out like the tricks of like, don't make things too sharp. Like um, if you're not, if if things are popping off, you're not heating it enough when you're sticking it on there, you know, just like little tricks. Mm -hmm. So, so I I think that the training that they gave me definitely made me uh, advance a lot faster by the time I was, you know, um, done working there. Uh, and then like during, you know, I had to do my 60 pieces a day, my, my, my record, mm-hmm. uh, when I, when I would have like a bunch of chillums, my record is 108. Wow. Dang. <laughs> it's almost double. That's crazy. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So they have to lay everybody off at least in the, uh, in the production line. Right. And, um by the way is clown is clown glass still around or it is still around it has different owners so it's like you know it's still in the same spot mm-hmm. uh, in uptown minneapolis but it's different owners and they just buy people's work from all over oh, okay, but they cool. still have a lot of local they still have a lot of local stuff and i'm 
I guarantee there's some like old people who used to work at clown. I, they might have work in there, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but I, yeah, I guess everyone that I worked with, there's only one person that I know of that is still blowing glass independently now. And that's Matt A. Okay. Nice. Was so you knew him back when you were working there in 2011. Uh, yeah, and he started before me, and he mm-hmm. was actually like, if you know, back backing up to your mentor question, mm-hmm. he was really influential. Um, he got me into like the forums online and looking at like the the bigger, headier glass artists who were out in, on the West Coast and mm-hmm. stuff like that. The, the marble makers who were putting their stuff on these forums, these independent workers. And like, I literally, before I started working at Clown, I had no idea that it was even a thing. <laughs> That's like, awesome. I thought all glass came from like some factory that people were just like working sweatshop style. And right. cause that's all I saw. Right, right, like right. literally I saw, and I knew Clown, like they were making their own thing. So that was like, to me, that was like the highest end glass I ever saw up to that point. Nice. So he showed me like this whole internet world um of really amazing glass artists and during my lunch breaks i would try to like attempt different marbles and stuff oh uh, nice. like i would stay after work and you know like stay up stay late and like eat dinner there and like just like work and they just uh, let you I'm- use use the torches and stuff like that yeah yeah just like here and there you know just to like keep the morale up really because uh-huh. if i was just like making decorating they knew that my personality like i needed that no one else like matt would do that sometimes but i don't remember anybody else doing that mm-hmm. actually there's this one girl lauren when she she started after me she would uh stay after and like try to make stuff too but it was more rare everyone was like get get the fuck out you know like yeah they weren't like, like me, me and matt were like lifers like we turned on the torch and we knew like this is it hell yeah so okay so after a year and a half at being being at Clown Glass, you you guys all get let go. Did you have a setup of your own that you could go back to and keep practicing or keep making glass with? No. Actually, I what did I do for a while? I actually sold rocks for a while. <laughs> Landscaping materials I sold for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a so like it was kind of a gradual layoff of everybody. When I started, there was like 14 or 15 of us. Mm-hmm. And when I was, by the time I was like quitting, they only had me working one day a week and Ooh, they were only paying us like once a month. And it was me and like two other guys, like doing everything. What? What were you doing in the meantime to like supplement your in- income? Did you have another job or were you, what What was up? Yeah. So I, I was able to hold on to the job I had in college. I was a nanny. Okay. Nice. Nice. And that actually paid me better. Right. Right. I was going to say like, what I, could pay me, but it wasn't a full-time thing. It wasn't going right. to give me any career like advancement. You know? Right. Right. So I was able to hold on to that, but that was only, th- I could only do that three days a week. Cause uh, they had other nannies and you know uh, the other nanny, she was like older. It was like the nanny that they had since they were, you know, really young. So I was like 
the second college nanny, like the, the younger one. one that they knew was like, gonna, yeah. yeah, sure. Like, the, yeah, the <laughs> one that they knew was going to like go on and was, I'm not like a life or nanny. So, right, right. so I was able to hold on to that for like my three day a week type thing. And then I was working at cloud. It was like very, I was actually collecting unemployment um, because cloud, that's what they told us to do. They were like, collect unemployment. You can work here one day a week. Um, and then when I finally, they just sh- shut down, I think, or I quit. I was like, I can't handle this. It was cause I found this landscaping job. Um, but that was like $10 an hour, Oof. you know, really like dead of the recession. It was not good. Yeah. And, um, just kind of like a, what can I do that's actually full time and like pay my student loans. Yeah. 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 So I did that for like a summer. And then after that, I was a daycare provider. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. For like little babies. So I was like a licensed infant teacher for five years and I can like do CPR and babies and shit. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Nice. uh, Like I didn't know, I didn't even know how to make a pipe. Right. Because I only was a finisher. Sure. So I didn't even really experiment with hollow stuff up until then because I didn't know that they were going to eventually shut down. And when it was just me and the two other guys working there and supplying the store, it was exhausting. And I wasn't like into staying after and like advancing my skills. It was just like, you know, go there, get done. And it was actually a lot of it was because uh, it was just not fun anymore. Cause like there wasn't like Matt left, he went to the West coast and like he had a bench of uh, workspace, like two for two away from mine. Mm-hmm. The girl that was next to me, she got let go. Um, so I was like all alone up upstairs in the upstairs area. And I was like, this sucks. I don't have anyone to go like smoke weed and lunch with, and, yeah, like, yeah. you know, shoot this shit with. And so I was just, I just wasn't as enthusiastic about like doing things during my lunch break and like working after hours and stuff. Okay. Um, so, so after clown glass, you're doing all these kind of like side jobs and then you kind of land in this, this like infant daycare thing where, so were people just, uh, were people just coming to your house and dropping their kids off or what, what was Well, so I actually worked at like a center. Okay. Cool. I think okay. I knew, I knew someone who worked there yeah. and it was $12 an hour versus the $10 an hour job that I had. So I was like, yeah, yeah like that will help. Yeah. and uh man i don't know how it came about but i just heard through the grapevine during like that i think i worked there for like a few months during the daycare like changing diapers and shit Mm -hmm. Uh, which was like the worst part but the babies were actually really awesome uh just like changing diapers and dealing with parents that was like the worst part Sure, sure but through the grapevine during that period i heard that the guy who was like importing glass from China and India, who basically like put clown out of business, like one of the importers in town, basically there was like one big one. Mm -hmm. And he had gone from when I was in college, he had a little corner store, like market, you know, with, with snacks and like hookah stuff and like crack pipes and like little. Yeah. Bodega style. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so he went from that. And then by the time I heard he had started his own studio 
he had like four stores, like big stores. So he had like realized like, oh, these little Debbies, they don't make me any money, but these <laughs> the pipes yeah. I can buy. He was, he would show me these boxes. He could buy a box like this big, you mm. know, to the like really huge box full of pipes, like not even bubble wrap, just like shoved, <laughs> shoved in this box. He's like, I bought this whole box for $5. And like half of them are just shattered or what? Yeah, they weren't. It was like, That's I mean, crazy. yeah, some of them, but they were like, you could tell these people were not smokers. Yeah. You know, like they're like horrible, like horrible pipes, but he would sell them for 20 bucks, 10 bucks, you know, like you're making a killing. Right, right. If you're buying like a hundred spoons for five dollars and like you know who knows if he was like really exaggerating how much he was paying for him but i believe it like but yeah still you sell one one or two pipes and you've either like you know quadrupled your money or made your money back and yeah it doesn't even matter if a few of them are broken in there you right, know right. it's like of course he's still gonna make what he needs off of it so so I heard that that guy, and it was kind of like, if you can't beat him, join him. Sure, sure. Kind sure. of a mindset. Yeah. Like absolutely. this guy, like, is the reason Chrome went out of business, but he he didn't have his own studio then. Mm -hmm. And then he realized because the recession was kind of waning, and he realized people really wanted American glass. Mm -hmm. But he didn't want to pay American prices, so he's like, oh, I'm going to start my own studio. And then I won't have to pay like they they won't have to buy their own studio space or the supplies or the tools. So I will be able to like undercut their prices. Right. Yeah. So I was like, well, I could like go back to school and get my graduate degree, but I still had student loans. I was like, Oh, like, I don't know. Like glass was really it for me. You know, it was like, I was very much more motivated Right. to try to continue a glass career than to try to like be a, what was I going to do like be a teacher like my original plan was to go back to architecture school and the recession really killed a lot of architect jobs yeah I was gonna say by the way I I roomed with like th three or four architecture students in college and they were just always fucking working like yeah always working yeah. Uh, but they were the best. Like they, they worked hard, they partied hard, you know, best buds back then. And uh, Yeah, I did two years. I did two years of architecture school and then I took a class. This woman, um, my professor, it was an architect architecture class, but she had a background in anthropology. And then she went and got her master's or doctorate in architecture. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you know, it really is a good idea to diversify. For sure. Because you need, you need your master's in architecture anyway. And so if you get your undergrad in architecture, you're kind of stuck. Mm -hmm. And so my idea was anthropology was really good, like base. I mean, you can go to medical anthropology, biological anthropology, cultural. You can do, um, you know, like cultural resource management. You can do a lot of different things. You can, you know, go, go to architecture school. Mm -hmm. Um so it was just like, to me, it seemed like a really smart idea. Yeah. So I ended up graduating in anthropology. And I studied abroad. It was like so much more fun than architecture school would have been. <laughs> right, right, right. And I got like a way better GPA than I probably would have gotten. <laughs> totally. 
Um, okay, so we're getting we're getting to the part of your story where you're kind of teaming up with the guy who is getting you know five dollar boxes of a hundred pipes. Um, yeah. So he he started his own studio and and yep. you went over there and started working there. Is is that what happened? Yeah. Okay. So I had friends who worked at his store in college. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of knew about this guy, you know, like they worked at his head shop or like had worked for him for a few days and then decided he was like a sexist pig and we're like, that sucked. So I was like, um, I think I could get a job there. You know, like <laughs> I'll just like, I'll just like make myself look cute and like put on some makeup and like see if he'll hire me, you know, like I had no idea how to make a pipe. Um, so I was like, this is, this might be, you know, might be a shot. Mm -hmm. So I call him up. I'm like, I heard you got a studio and I went, he's like, yeah, we'll come in for an interview. So I get there and he's like, can you make a pipe? <laughs> and I'm like, no, but just have your guys show me how to do it real quick and I'll do it. <laughs> so that's what he did. This guy, Jay, like showed me how to make a inside out pinchy uh -huh. i'm like all right cool like i had enough experience by then where you know i was able to do it i was able to make something sellable like my first shot nice nice so he was like yes you're hired awesome, awesome. <laughs> so at that point there was i was the fifth person hired like at his new studio mm -hmm. and i worked there for a year and a half which is funny uh <laughs> another year and a half <laughs> little thing I did there and by the time I was done there was like 14 or 15 of them so it was like the exact opposite of like right. what happened at yeah 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 uh so at this point had you invested into a torch or like studio space or anything like that no I had nothing I, that was what was so cool like I was living in an apartment <sighs> nice so it was pretty awesome to be able to just like show up learn a bunch of shit and it was cool because this guy had no idea that you shouldn't teach everybody every part of the process like right. found it. But I was like you know I really knew my I had an exit strategy yeah you know yeah. I was like I'm gonna learn how to I'm gonna like build my skills and then I'm gonna dip up and mm -hmm. that's what I did nice so so I learned how to make every you know a lot of different pipes. I learned how to uh, sandblast, electroform, you know, like use the saw, the wet saws. I can use this Herbert Arnold crack off machine, which is like a really obscure machine that you have in like scientific studios. I learned how to use a lathe and um, just had endless supplies and endless freedom basically. And we could show up they were open from eight in the morning till eight at night and they were open Saturdays. Mm -hmm. So I would literally just like be there all day. I would be, I was the first one there, the last one to leave consistently. And I would show up on Saturdays and I did really well there. And I just, I learned a bunch of stuff on Saturdays was like my day to like make my art stuff, you know, like uh, okay. the fun stuff. Yeah. But like during the week, I only was was really making um, like little scientific like hash smoking accessories, right? <laughs> sure, sure, <laughs> sure. So it was like right when hash was becoming popular. Okay, like yeah. Was really becoming popular. Yeah, I was gonna ask you what we're talking 2013, 14. 
2012 yeah. maybe oh yeah 2012 yeah 2012 and I started my own studio March I think it was March 8th 2013 okay nice 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 yeah so something that just that I'm wondering about like it seems like there's not a uh there's definitely not any sort of like institutionalized or formal uh glass training schools or you know is it is it just like kind of like how you did it like sort of weaving your way through jobs or maybe finding like some uh, people you vibe with with studios and then learning from them do you it's very situational yeah 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 it's very situational i was just really lucky that there was studios doing that where i was you know in in my area Mm -hmm. um and i think a lot of people kind of just it's kind of the same thing where you're in the right place at the right time you hear about someone or a studio or something. And now it's different because there's the internet and there's so many um, groups on Facebook and um, ways like there's class, like classes you can buy mm-hmm. online and stuff. Uh, and there's actually like more formal classes where you can go and like here there now there's um, studios teaching, you know, like teaching classes there's a place in uptown Minneapolis called legacy where they will do classes. Um, and then there's another place called Skylab where they do classes and we're not even like a real, we're not like super legal state. We were just like, sure. we have any medical program. So it's like, even so we're like, we were doing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so I think it's really situational. Like, um, like my boyfriend, he blows glass. We blow glass in our garage. Mm-hmm. Um, but he learned, just because he knew someone um and they were like hey you jump on the torch now like try it out you know so i think it's just very like situational right place right time kind of a thing yeah but if you heard about it if you know about it and you have the drive and you have a few extra thousand dollars laying around (laughs) yeah yeah then then it is kind of possible to just kind of like i'm gonna make a setup in my garage or my basement or whatever totally um well, it seems like you got kind of the best of both worlds. You were more or less paid to learn in yeah. both situations. Um, Which is super rare. I don't want anybody right, right. to think that's a thing. It's right. like really rare. Yeah, it's 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 not a thing. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe if, if you're not, you could probably get paid to learn if you have, a, you know, if you find that lucky situation. But right. it's pretty pretty yeah. rare to like be paid 13 bucks an hour and like be trained like I was, you know? Right. You're not going to show up to a studio and be like, hi, I would like to be paid for you to teach me, please. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like really weird, like rare, like that I would just come upon this ad in the window. Actually, I didn't come upon it. I should probably give credit to the guy that told me about it. I was dating a guy in college and he told me like this, this isn't, a thing you know you should apply because he knew i was graduating so so were you just saving up money the whole time at that place just thinking like okay i need to get my own gear at some point oh no i was totally blowing it okay (laughs) (laughs) because um i didn't know i didn't know i was gonna act right like they're still they're still a studio yeah i didn't know it was gonna end i thought like i would have a few years there and like you know, go do my own thing eventually. And like, I could barely, when I left, uh, 
the place, the like the sweatshop, basically yeah. it was. <laughs> when I left there, I could barely make a Sherlock. Okay. Yeah. So it was like I just was like dabbling in so many different things because I knew there was an expiration date on this job, but yeah. I was also blowing my money on classes okay. and travel and like meeting other glass blowers and just like immersing myself in everything glass. So you were and still I, I went to Thailand and that was fun, but yeah. So you were still like <laughs> investing into like furthering your understanding of your art. Oh, absolutely. And I was um, the only person in that studio to have like an Instagram, like for my glass. Oh, nice. Um, and I was like taking my own pictures of my pieces that I would make on like my Saturday, like my art Saturday. Yeah. I was, uh, was like taking nice pictures and putting them on Facebook and literally buying them from my boss so I could sell them. <laughs> nice. And so, like, I knew, you know, because I've been going to music festivals since, like, 2004. Nice. So I knew, you know, you just pop down at a music festival, put your blanket out, and, like, put your pipes out there. 100%. And, and like, sell your pipes on lots out, right. right? Yeah, And yeah. so I had plans to go to Austin City Limits Music Festival because my cousin is uh, one of the camera guys nice. who films. And so he's you know, I've been to Austin City Limits a few times and I was like, oh, like bring my pipes, right? Totally. <laughs> and so, but it's like not even that kind of festival. Like there's nobody right. doing that right. there. It was like, no camping. Right. So I'm just like, okay, like I'm going to do this. So I like put my blanket out and like had my pipes out. Just like next to venues and stuff. Well, like, so there, you know, like there's like, there's stages, right? Different stages. You okay. walk, walk to stage or whatever and during the day people are just kind of hanging out sitting down more casually it wasn't as crowded yeah so I like, kind of sit in the back more and just like put my little blanket out and have my pipes out and <sighs> I actually got a good response nice and uh I didn't know hardly any like heady glass blowers at the time but I was walking around um you know because it's it's the location is awesome of Austin City Limits. It's like you can walk, you know, different places outside the venue mm -hmm. if you're killing time and stuff. So I was just kind of walking around and there are people like along those streets who have little pop-up um, like easy ups with like their vendor. glass or art or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And I actually met J-Mass that okay. day and he's a pretty famous glass artist. <laughs> he, uh, I didn't know it at the time. I had no idea like who he was. He was super nice. And he's like, Oh, like what's your stuff? You know? And so I showed him my stuff and he let me put my pipes in his booth. Nice. So it was like, okay, I don't have to do this blanket thing. Cause I look like a weirdo. Like no one else is doing this, yeah, yeah. this like hot style bending. Like I was used to going to Bonnaroo and like sure, yeah. the, like the places where you do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, no one's going around Austin City Limits going, like, Dose is Molly. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think at first I confused it with um, South by Southwest just because you said Austin. and Oh, yeah, so yeah. I That's, like, where a different bar. Right, 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 right. That's what I was picturing at first. But so Austin City Limits is just, it, it's kind of like 
there's like a festival grounds kind of thing. Yeah, it's a huge park. Okay, nice, nice. Okay. Yeah, it's a huge park, and it's like got these beautiful like rolling hills. Who was playing? Oh man, I've been there like three times just because of my cousin or whatever. But yeah. I know Flaming Lips were playing. Um, Father John Misty. Uh, I think the Eagles headline. <laughs> <laughs> nice okay yeah uh, which was hilarious yeah, yeah. um fish fish play it was just okay, like super montage. uh like um god who else um what's the weirdo uh i can't think of it right now like the weirdo with the weird haircut um <laughs> Jameer uh, like super theatrical uh, i know like major laser was probably there and uh, um god skrillex I, like, skrillex no weirdo and with the haircut yeah i'm sure he has played there but it was yeah. um the weird hair the the woman and the man from england um she has like really pale skin god i can't i i was like on the tip of my tongue right now that's okay uh but just like really <laughs> weird mix like really yeah, yeah. weird mix of music. um and we went it was like me and my girlfriend from college we went to like 30 bands in three days basically we were like as many shows as we can see mm -hmm. um and i was just like i'll just try to see if i can sell a couple pipes and we'll see you know so yeah it kind of worked out it was like my first experience like outside of um like just selling to my boss you know like my boss yeah, yeah. would pay me right like we, we just got paid by the piece and uh, it sold in the store. So I had no like sales experience or anything. So did you get to did... with game ass? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you got to kind of kick it at the booth and see how, how that worked out, like how to sort yeah, of. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even kick it with them. I was just like walking by and I was like, oh, glass, sweet. Like, this is sweet. You know, like I, I make glass too. And he like, I I don't even remember how it went, but he was just like super nice, super welcoming, and uh, and you know not many girls were doing it back then. Mm -hmm. So in my experience, like way back when I was just first starting, it was uh like when I was like had my little blanket out and I would have my pieces there. These guys would come up to me and be like super surprised, like "Oh, you made this shit! Oh my gosh, like crazy!" You know. So I think it was just like. Uh, like welcoming and you know like supporting of that nice. you know so very supportive of that yeah that's awesome so you had this serendipitous meeting with with jay mass who's like a big in the glass world um what happened after that i mean what what did you learn from that experience i think i think it just gave me motivation um mm -hmm. because he was, you know, I could tell he had been doing it for a long time. His class was really nice. And I, I think it just showed me like how awesome the community really is. The community is, you know, there are a lot of people in the community. It's not, it shouldn't be like a blanket statement, but I, I've had really good luck, you know, meeting people who are very supportive, very welcoming. Um, and so it was just really refreshing because what I came from was very cutthroat, like clown glass and, yeah, yeah. It was like sweatshoppy, very cutthroat. Like at Clown, we weren't allowed to like talk to each other or share information because they didn't want us to like team up and like ghost our own business. So it was like 
weird, like stressful situation. And then going from that to the other stop, the other shop. I mean, it was like just me and a bunch of guys and they had no idea heady glass existed outside of like what they were doing. They weren't on the internet or anything like that. So um, just like stepping outside of like my work situation, it just showed me like how awesome and welcoming the community actually is. Like it was a good first encounter. Nice. So what happens between that time and, and where you are now, like living with your boyfriend and you guys have a garage studio with, with all your own gear, I'm assuming. Yeah. So after I worked, um, at that, at the second place for a year and a half, um, I had, you know, during that time I had, like, I went to Thailand and had some fun because my friend was like, you know, teaching English over there, but my other traveling experiences were more, um, glass oriented. I went to Denver and I took a class, um, like a pipe making class. I couldn't even make, I don't even think I could make a Sherlock at that time. I was just making like little scientific Mm-hmm. accessories on this little lathe. It was like a little lathe that uh, came from a submarine and nice. they would make light bulbs or two. So I was like using this little lathe to make like domes. Remember domes? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <That laughs> like sucks. domes, little adapters, accessories and stuff. And so I was on the internet. I was on, on Instagram and I knew that Joe P and Elbow, I'm sure you've heard of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know them. So I, I don't know them, but I know them. Right, you know them, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I knew that they were teaching a class in Denver, and it happened to be on my birthday. Oh, cool. So I went down there, and I took uh, the class, but it wasn't, like, now you can take classes and even, like, blow glass during these classes, but it was just, like, you're watching, they're, like, showing you their process. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a class. So I was... uh you know, investing and things like that. And I had ordered a, a magazine called Glass Line Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, they, they have tutorials and uh, articles and stuff. And so I had been investing in that way. So uh, when I quit that place, the reason I quit, it was just like becoming more corporate style, like, they got a manager and the manager realized I was making too much money and he cut my pay in half. Damn. Yeah. Even though I was Sucks. making more pieces than anybody in the whole place and like producing more and making more money than anybody in the whole place. He was like, Oh no, $3 per piece. That's too much. So I just like saw that it was not, you know, it was expiring faster than I realized it was going to. Yeah. Um, so another just situation where I was just really lucky to be in the right place at the right time. I had these friends who had a studio and, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just going to like put this out there. Cause it's like, not even, I don't think it's going to matter much anymore because everything's pretty like decriminalized around here. Yeah. But you know, like they needed somebody on the lease of their studio yeah 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 yeah. okay so (laughs) i was like the person who like had the lease right yeah they're like you can rent this studio you're we'll buy you they got me oxygen tank they like 
helped me out. I had enough money and like uh, also credit. I have good credit. And so I was just like, I'm just going to do this, you know, like figure it out. And so they had, they had a friend who was the lease guy and he was a glass blower, but he had a horrible heroin addiction. Ooh. Yeah. And <laughs> he wasn't like returning their investment. Right. Sure. And they could see that he was just like spinning his wheels and like not really producing any glass. And the glass he was producing was just like garbage. And so they're like, all right, well, he kind of dipped out and there was a bench and a, and a the exhaust system and he left a bunch of glass. And um, I bought a little, like little kiln, a little tiny, like bead making kiln. Yeah. And I think I borrowed some money. No, actually I had a CD account. So I, I, my, my car got totaled a few years earlier. Mm -hmm. And instead of buying a, like a brand new car, I just took that money and I put some of it away in a CD account. And my CD account like came to terms or whatever it's called as I needed a torch. Awesome. So it was like perfect timing. I just like, found these my friends who were like yeah like you can just slip into this spot he's you know he's not working out you can like have the lease or whatever and uh like you know they were just doing some shady shit and eventually I was like oh I can pay for this studio myself I don't need you guys yeah. helping me anymore. Right. um but that they were just like pay me like I would pay the rent mm -hmm. um to the to the lease people or like to the studio people, but they would just like pay me in weed, <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd have to sell that weed and like right. make the, you know, it's so, like a whole thing. Yeah, but yeah. that got really taxing because that sure. takes time. Yeah, and definitely. people are coming over all the time, and so I was like, oh, eventually, you know, like like <laughs> I gotta phase that out. Yeah. So yeah, I yeah. phased that out, but I would like go to music festivals and uh, put, you know, put myself out there and just like kind of just do the like the gorilla style bending. Sure. Yeah. At these music festivals, um, you know, before anybody knew who I was. Mm -hmm. And uh, like all these guys at this music festivals that I would go to, they would like have these gun cases, right? Like full of glass. Right. And they would always get taken away. Oh, they buy security or, or whoever. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, oh, oh, gee, I wonder what's in your gun case, right? Yeah. And so <laughs> I'm like this little girl and I'm like, oh, I, I had a picnic basket. Ah. Instead of a gun Excellent. case. So I had like this like double decker picnic basket. I customized it with like fur inside and I would just like hide my pieces under there while I was going through security and like how all my costumes, they never suspected a female Love it. was like hiding, you yeah. know, was like peering around glass. Yeah. So it was perfect. Love <laughs> it. I dude, I love stories <laughs> like that where it's like just inventive ways to get around you know, not being a not officially being able to gorilla vend or whatever at, at festivals yeah, no, like, like that. I like vending at festivals, like buying a booth like and shit. Now, Eventually yeah. I was able yeah, to like yeah. afford a booth and right. stuff, but Gorilla vending is like really where you meet more people and like have more fun. And I, I honestly like prefer it still. Yeah. Like yeah. Like walking around the campsite. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. And then you're just like, what's up guys? You're like what's in the basket? <laughs> that's what, that's how I started. I, I would just, uh, it was Wakarusa 2010 and I was just making like pen and ink and colored pencil drawings back then. But yeah, I was at that Wakarusa too. You were? Nice. I, yeah, I think so. Cause it was before I started pulling glass. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That was a fun one. That was really uh, fun. Was uh, Sharon Jones at that one? I, uh, <laughs> I remember I saw Sharon Dab Kings and I I think was it no was it Skrillex who's the other one Bass Nectar I I bet Bass Nectar was there I the shows I remember um, I remember seeing Lotus I remember seeing uh, this dude that I hadn't heard of until then uh, he was called James Zabila was there he's like a like a kind of house tech dude and I was like okay blown away by that uh, Toki Monster. Um, yeah, it was just kind of like when I was like really, really deep into electronic music at that yeah. point. Blue Tech, I remember. Oh, I love Blue Tech. Fave, favorite. Yeah, absolute like all time legend. Um, yeah, I, I got, you know, that was 11 years ago and I was a younger man and uh, I got pretty high most of the time there. So I don't remember like a whole lot of it, but the, it was like a seminal experience for me in terms of like, let's see if these random prints sell and they did. So, um, I, I like met one of, one of my still good friends there who was live painting and I showed him my art and he was like, Hey, cool, man, keep it up. You know? So it was like, like kind of the same thing with you where it was like a little bit different, but it was like this confidence booster, you know, to just a yeah, little, little like nudge. It's not People aren't like cutthroat and competitive. Right, right. They're more like encouraging and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think when you encourage other younger artists, you actually, you actually get this kind of like roundabout benefit of keeping you accountable with your own work, so that it doesn't like start maybe slacking off or something. And and for me, it's been like motivational to watch um, guys and girls younger than me come up and get better and better and i'm like oh man i gotta stay on top of my shit because like they're, they're getting really good too and i mean and it's it's kind of like there's always this dichotomy conversation about you know is it cooperation or competition and i think it's like a little bit of both you know like you can have oh, I think it's friendly competition for sure yeah, i yeah. like the it's it's not a negative right competition right right yeah yeah it's, yeah it keeps everyone makes everyone better Absolutely. hundred percent. Um, but yeah, yeah. Thanks for relaying that story. That's like, you know, that's like subtle advice to younger artists out there who might be trying to get a foothold in the, in the festival and music community. Uh, yeah. And you know, a lot of festivals aren't even um, that expensive. And now when I was first starting, they didn't have roaming vending. And mm -hmm. now a lot of will have roaming vending, which is like, you can do that. You can right. do the gorilla stuff and you won't get your shit taken. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like that wasn't even an option when I was doing it. And they realized, oh, instead of taking everyone's shit, we could just like have them pay 50 bucks or yeah. whatever, you know, 100 bucks, whatever. You know, when I was started, when I first started out, I, I think it was 2013 when I started going to festivals, like to sell my own work that I made in my own studio. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it was like 2013. And it wasn't that long ago, but things have changed since then. Like the oh, types yeah. of music that were there, 
Um, I mean, I saw Tipper, like, I think like 200 people were there. Like, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Kind of, you know, <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. I remember going to some some early Tipper shows as well. Um, yeah, it's it's been crazy, like, to see the evolution of, of this uh, of this community. It's it's pretty cool, actually. It's kind of, you know, um, I don't know. I guess it's becoming more and more like accepted as a way of life where as maybe like you said you went to your first festival in 2004 i went to my first festival 2003 um i was it bonnaroo because that was my first mm-hmm. fe- yeah yeah so, yeah, yeah so like uh, i didn't even know like, music festivals like i'm from a really small town yeah so and like uh when i was in high school my parents were divorced and so i had to take care of my family my brother and sister and so mm-hmm. i didn't really have much of a social life um, so I was working at this pizza place and some guy's like, do you want to go to this music festival? And I'm like, yeah, I love music. I didn't know any, any of the bands, like yeah. literally like none of them. That yeah. whole experience was a discovery experience for me. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like, leave Bonnaroo and you're like, why do I have to go home? Like this is it. Like this, some wanna... people should be. Thing. Yeah, you want to join the circus after your first festival, you know? Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Like... And I, like, actually, you know, that was actually my first like selling at a festival experience because I was like the chick in high school who made hemp necklaces and bracelets nice, and stuff. Nice, nice, nice. Um, because my mom had taught me. She has been she'd been doing it since like the sixties or seventies, mm-hmm. and she like she had her little like how to make all these hemp things. And so I was just like, I mean, I lived on 40 acres in the country, so there wasn't really many like cool. things I could do really close. Yeah. So I was like the girl who was like decking everyone out in the hemp stuff. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, so yeah, I want to, I want to pivot a little bit. I think it, are, are we, are we up to the present with your story? I kind of lost the, yeah. the thread. I mean, I, I just kind of like, you know, was doing the the whole thing in my own studio, that studio um, with those guys. I eventually like was able to pay for it myself. Right. And then uh, shortly after that, I met my boyfriend and he started working with me in my studio. Um, He's from Madison, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Like we we were doing the long distance thing for like a little bit, but then he eventually um, moved and started working into my studio and moved into my apartment, but I knew that was it. It was like my little like bachelorette pad, you know what I mean? And it right, was like, yeah. yeah, not really like our place. Mm-hmm. And one day on a whim, he was looking at bicycle parts or something on Craigslist, but came across a house for rent. <laughs> nice. And I like really wanted to have a garden. I had to like, have this in my head, like eventually I want to grow my own food and stuff. And it just happened a lot faster than I thought it was going to happen. He found this like Adam Craigslist. I'm like, I'm going to call, I'm going to call and see what's up. And, uh, we were able to get this house and they let us build a studio in the shed. Oh, awesome. And then that was the house before the, for this house we had, you know, we had a, a little shed studio and then, the owner sold that house. And so we had to find a new place. Luckily we found um, this place we're at now and the landlord 
gave me like a really long lease. I signed, I was like, can I have a five-year lease? Cause I don't want that to happen again. Where I was like, right, yeah, the yeah. guy's like, do you want to buy the house? And I'm like, uh, yeah, but no, mm-hmm. <laughs> just like not the house for us. And so now we're here. And are you in uh, Minneapolis? Minneapolis? Yeah. Yeah. Minneapolis. Yeah. Um, I've been here, uh, for about 18 years. Okay. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Besides like my little study abroad stint in Argentina, but sweet. Um, so I was browsing through your Instagram and I noticed that you're really into, is it, it's Kuji, right? Or Kuji, not Kugi. Um, yeah. Kuji sweaters. Um, for people that don't know and by people that don't know, I mean me, like, could you, uh, break down the, the history for us on that? Like, it's very interesting to me. I, I read like one of your posts, which was, uh, which was super cool. If, if you have something off the top that, that you could give to us and, and then like maybe how it's, uh, influenced the way that you make glass or think about making glass, uh, sure. I'd be interested to hear it. Sure. So, I mean, I've always really loved hip hop, mm-hmm. um, and all, all kinds of music, but hip hop is kind of like what made Coogee famous, sure. I guess, like the, you know, Biggie Smalls and the famous like money um, image. That's how I know it from. Yeah, exactly. So like the, you know, the, that image is really popular. And then there's another image where he's like in front of the World Trade, the uh, World Trade Center towers, and he's in a different Coogee sweater. So those are two pretty famous images, but um, what I didn't know, I found out after talking to um, Billy Schleifstein, which is the ex-CEO and president of Kuji, mm-hmm. he has, I got connected through him, or through a, a Kuji collector, actually. I got connected to him, and he was, like, super enthusiastic about my work, and now he he was like, I want to, like, you know, mentor you, whatever I can do, like, let's, oh, like, stay connected. And so I actually learned a lot about the history from him because before I started doing it, well, right when I started doing it, I really couldn't find very much online. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he was a, he told me uh, kind of like when they first started in, in 86 was when they first made their first one. Um, he said it was mostly like lawyers and doctors um, there's like the wealthier clients who were buying these sweaters and a lot mm-hmm. of them were buying like the earth tone ones, not like the real wild, crazy ones. Yeah, yeah. And then Charles Barkley, uh, got jerseys made for this like all-star team that he put together Yeah. and he got all these jerseys made. And I, I still haven't found any pictures, but hopefully I can dig some up. Nice. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, I gotta gotta make a trip out to LA. But Billy said we can go through his storage unit and we can find some things, some cool stuff to look at. So oh, I think sweet. I'll get a lot of like really cool history tidbits. That's yeah, but... that's an amazing connection. Like, how did did you just reach out to him? So, actually, I found this collector, this Kuji sweater collector. He had the has has the most amazing collection. I've ever seen and takes the best pictures. He like has it really well lit. He puts it on this like fur, like lamb skin and takes a picture of it mm-hmm. and puts it on his Instagram. And his Instagram is like primarily Kuji and like Kuji history and stuff like that. He is just like 
one of those people who is just like all about Kuji and like he will gift the sweaters. He is just like very into finding out the history. He was like me where he couldn't find anything out, out about it online. Mm. And mm. so he was buying these um, rare pieces off eBay. And one of the pieces that he bought came with like a brochure or maybe he bought the brochure off eBay or something like that. There's just these like art, random artifacts that you can find on eBay. And so he was like flipping through this brochure and found Billy Schleifstein's name and looked him up mm-hmm. on Facebook. <laughs> and interestingly, Billy had just gotten on Facebook. <laughs> nice. And so they just started talking and Billy's like an amazing guy. He's like one of the most gregarious and like giving people. So he ended up like, talking to John, this guy's name is John on Instagram is John the fifth. Um, but he just talk, started talking to John and he, John showed him my stuff. Oh, cool. And he nice. showed, um, he showed Billy a few other people who were making either clothing out of Coogee stuff or, you know, like there's a guy making artwork by like putting all the sweaters together and like putting them on a big canvas. Mm. So he was just showing Billy uh, like people are still doing this. Like what you did was like a really amazing thing. And it's, it, there's a revival happening. And so mm-hmm. he just wanted to kind of like show Billy, like, if you don't know about this, we're still like Kuji is timeless, you know? Yeah. And so Billy, like, you know, was very enthusiastic about his enthusiasm and then was like, please connect me with, you know, with me. And so he ended up, uh, Billy actually reached out to me and was like, let's talk. Sweet. And so like, since I started talking to him, we've talked on the phone a new, a number of times, um, for like one time it was like for three hours. (laughs) That's so awesome. Yeah. So, so this, I'm seeing a little bit, at least on your Instagram that, um, kind of like the way that the sweaters are designed is kind of maybe influencing a little bit of your, your glasswork, not, not necessarily all of it, but like I'm seeing kind of like you're putting in like different colored uh, tubings. Right. Oh yeah. And it it Mm -hmm. sort of like makes the very similar pattern to a a Kuji. Like, right. Yeah. Trying to get as close as I can. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not as easy because with the sweater machines, they are, super complicated Mm -hmm. like the sweater the the machines that they were using and um you know finding more about the process kuji was actually what they were doing was revolutionary in the knit world Mm -hmm. it was bringing art and translating these actual art pieces into the sweaters using these computer programs and machines and this was in the 80s so this was like revolution absolutely what they were and he, they actually um, have a whole, um, I don't want to say it's an exhibit, but they did uh, an installation at the Smithsonian, at the textile museum that is the Smithsonian's tech, textile museum. Wow. And Billy did a whole speech there. And I think this, he said this was in like 1991. And that's right around the time that Charles Barkley had these jerseys made. Yeah, yeah. And so... 
the football players, backup basketball players were wearing them. And he did this Smithsonian thing. It was like the peak, I think, of the old, like the old Fuji's, you know, like the original company. Right. Um, and so, yeah, like the way that they are knit, I try to get as close as possible, but there are limitations in glass, like the colors aren't always the same. Um, and I can do a little bit here and there with like mixing my own colors and like doing layers and things like to make my own color. Um, but there are just certain colors that I can't achieve or like that don't work in the process because when I'm layering stuff that it's like really deep in there, there's some glasses that don't react well to being like really deep in case like that because all glass is made with different metals. And so these metals cool at different times. And so if you get certain metals in there that cool um, slower than the top ones or vice versa, you're going to get cracking and stuff. So it's been a lot of trial and error to like figure out which colors work, um, you know, and like what colors I make and how to make them. Yeah things like that but I'm trying to get you know like the essence as much as possible of like the Kuji sweater and like for me that's kind of what I was I was kind of searching for that when I started doing it I was sort of searching for something that I could do that was recognizable but that I would never get bored with Mm -hmm. yeah because I like get bored really easy (laughs) sure sure yeah it seems like the the Kuji sweaters are I mean, they're all unique, right? Each one is completely unique. Well, so Billy was explaining to me that it's called a knit down. So they they would knit like a huge like piece of fabric, right? The design would be like a huge piece of fabric. Mm -hmm. And the bigger the design was, the less similarities you'll get in the sweaters. Ah, okay. Because they just take from the same piece of fabric, basically. Right, exactly. And so um, he said that there are some that has a shorter repeat design. Mm -hmm. And then those ones you can sort of, sometimes you can find identical sweaters, which is like really rare. Mm -hmm. But I have two identical, actually, Mm -hmm. did I get rid of one? I'm always like adding and trading and, you know, like like, uh, sweater swapping or whatever. But I had, or I might have two that are like exactly the same like identical sizes and design but they're not as complicated like the more complicated ones that are you know the faces and stuff uh, those are harder to find the doubles of those ones and it's cool because uh i didn't know this until i started talking to billy but there was artists who were making these designs Mm -hmm. like artwork and i asked him are there just is it digital is it like pen and paper is it he's like whatever it's everything yeah everything they would just like design this and then the technicians would transpose this design into the program for the knitting machine it's amazing that yeah i mean to go as far back as the 80s and find find people doing that because i know that that's very similar to how like artsy clothes are made today you know Right, right. I mean, like they were combined. I mean, there there were all these stitches. They were all out there mm-hmm. before 
they invented the Kuji designs and stuff, but then they were just able to, Billy said that they would actually slow the machine down mm -hmm. to be able to get these designs in there. That's crazy. <laughs> so he was saying that they would like, it's like kind of like an aftermarket race car, right? Like you're, you're tuning it yeah. and tweaking it so that you can do what you want with it and, so it's really amazing. And I, I actually got to see one of these machines. I got, there's, there's a, he said that there was a, I think there was a Korean machine and then there was a German machine. Mm -hmm. And I got to see one of the German machines in action. Nice. At M and what? Sorry. At MIT in oh. Boston. Oh, nice. Epic. Yeah. So are they, is, is he still making these or no? Well, so he is not the president and CEO anymore. Um, since, since then, so I think he was the there till 99. Mm -hmm. And since 99, it has changed the business. The company has changed hands twice. Mm. Um, so it's a completely different owner now. And apparently the owner doesn't have the original designs. Yeah. So they're just using like, they recycling them? Uh, Are they like remixing yeah, designs together? Design, like you can kind of um, create your own now because so a lot of companies copied Kuji. There's yeah, a yeah. few different companies that copied like Tundra. There's another one in it, like couple in Italy. Mm -hmm. um, I can't name them all off the top of my head right now, but there are like five different companies that pretty much exactly copied them once they saw what they were doing because it, I mean, it's sort of like any art where like, we're like, Oh, this is new and revolutionary, but I still, I have these tools and I right. have this machine and I could do that too. It's just not the original. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. You always see derivative works whenever there's a breakthrough in any sort of art form, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. If you have a good idea, there's always going to be the copy, the copiers. For sure. Um, so yeah, I just want to, I want to ask you just some, some questions at this point. Um, thanks for going, going in on the, on the Kujis and explaining it. Yeah. To I us. could talk for like hours about Yeah. Cause about I, my only point of reference was just, I mean, just Biggie, like straight up. Mm -hmm. And and I knew that people were still really into the sweaters and I think that they're cool. It's just something that, you know, for inexplicable reasons, I never really got into right you know like certain things will will catch your attention at certain times like you know your your boyfriend telling you about the ad for you know to get a glass job but um anyway that's all to say that let's move on to some different questions here uh one that i have is how has working with glass like your art form changed you over time Uh, it definitely has made, I think it's made me a better person because when you're running a one person show yeah, and communicating with people, um, selling your stuff, um, it's taught me to be more patient. Glass in general has taught me to be more patient and it's taught me to not be so um, attached to things because sometimes things break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you kind of have to be really detached. I mean, painting's like that too, because sometimes you have to just like completely paint over an entire piece. Totally. 
Yeah. And you hate it. And like, <laughs> I don't know. It's like, um, I feel like it's very Zen. I, yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not Buddhist and I don't, I don't study that, but from everything I've ever learned about Zen Buddhism, mm-hmm. it, it like glass teaches you those things. And I just think maybe owning a business in general teaches you those things because if you're an asshole, mm. people aren't going to buy your shit, you know, right. like 100%. just like kill people with kindness. Don't be a jerk. Be patient. Uh, detachment from yeah. expectations. Totally. Uh, yeah, so I think that dovetails into another question about like um like how you view your own work and how how do you how do you balance out the voice of like the inner critic or the or the judge judging part of your brain? What do you do with that? I am like very judgmental. <laughs> because for me for me, the more critical I am, like the better it looks, right? Hundred percent, yeah. I but feel there's it. a lot that you have to like get things completed, right? And you have to like pay bills, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I feel like it's just a really um, delicate balancing act, and I think that the healthier I am physically, mentally, like the more I can have a positive outlook on how I view things. Mm. And I guess for the, the, you know, like the last 10 years of just doing it, I've learned to let certain things go or like if something breaks or somebody, you know, I don't have very many people saying like they don't like something of mine or just like, you know, just, it just humbles you um, to like listen to the critic, but don't take it so seriously. Right. You know, like, yes, like, don't, don't slack. Don't like let mistakes um, fly or don't like let them be outsold into the world. Um, But it, you know, and then every artist is different. A lot of artists, you know, the people who are just like more production artists. um, I, I talked to a lot of them and they, they say like, just sell it. Like, don't, don't worry about the little mistakes. And for me, I'm just like making a higher quality product and I want it to be perfect. Um, right. So I think for me, it's just knowing what is good enough, but also like how to not make those mistakes. You know, like I keep, I even keep like a little notebook. Um, so I can, when I learn a trick, like, Oh, that's the trick, or this is the color combo or whatever. I'm trying to write it down. So I don't have to like relearn that later, even like right. five years later, make something that you haven't made in a while. Mm-hmm. Do you find, um, do you find that writing things down just helps you in general in life? Or I definitely write a lot of shit down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I write a lot of things down. Yeah, I do too. Um, it like it helps get things out of my head. Mm-hmm. I feel like it makes room for things, so I don't have to think about it. It makes me less stressed. Definitely. Even if I never look at that thing ever again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It like, it it's helps. Just like putting it away, like from my brain, like put it away. Don't think about that. Like move on to what's important. Cause it's very easy 
to have like way too many things to do or things to think about all the time. Yeah. And it's like focusing on the most important thing. Yeah. It's kind of like decluttering your brain is, is what I've found. Yes. Um, Exactly. Like, and I even have methods of like how I do it. Yeah. I don't like put everything on one piece of paper. I have like certain places for certain things. And even if I, if I'm feeling stressed, yeah, my best technique is to do like what I call a brain dump where you just like write it all down on one piece of paper. But then after you get it all out, then you're like, okay, these are like separate categories, right? Like this is work. This is personal. This is like projects I got to do on my house that need to be done or whatever. Right. So then you can like break it down into columns and then like prioritize for me, like, I'm, I use a planner a little bit, but like for me, it's like when I'm feeling really overwhelmed and stressed out, I just, I'm like, oh, I haven't done a brain dump in a while. No, that's perfect. Yeah. It's just like getting stuff out of your head I've found is, is so important because otherwise it's just floating around there. You know, some things in your head are just useless, right? And whether you use writing or meditation to sort of like organize your mind you know, you got like, I find that it helps to do something because otherwise like the stuff that, that doesn't really matter that like, you don't, you know, that doesn't need to be in your head will like bump into the things that are actually important that need to get done and need to be listed out and prioritized like you were talking about. Yeah. It really helps me to figure out what's important what's not important just to like empty my brain so i can focus on one thing and not like the million (laughs) things i have to do that aren't that important right sure um so do you have like a a self-care routine or a daily um just schedule that you try and follow um i am the most like inconsistent person in the world well i'm probably not in the world but you know i feel like i'm really inconsistent but i feel like um i have cycles Mm -hmm. like like some people do really well like i do a brain dump every week you know like like they're like oh on schedule i do this this way or this that way i find Mm -hmm. that when i create rules for myself it like stresses me out yeah so i've just found like if i'm stressed out that brain dump helps or like, Oh, I haven't like reviewed my planner in a while or, um, whatever else, but like just my physical activity for me is, is the most consistent thing that I do. Mm-hmm. And even not even consistent with that, like with what I'm doing, I love variety. You know, you can probably see from my Instagram page, like I, I get bored really easily or like, I just love variety. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I have like a number of workouts that I go to, you know, mm-hmm. like I do a um, program called GMB and they're like, how often do you want to do this program? And they like, do like pick your days. I like never do it on the days I said I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what do I feel like? As long as I like am getting it in, yeah, I feel good. Yeah. And I've learned like, I've learned, you know, over the years that that's just how I work and I do better when I don't stress over like Monday, Wednesdays or leg days or whatever. Right, you know? right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of how I exercise as well. I'm just like, 
oh man, it's been a while. I think I should swing the kettlebell around or like go on a run yeah. or, or whatever. But yeah, or like like I did uh if I was like, Oh, I haven't done cardio in a while, like I'll do you know, like do that or like uh I like to use yoga as a way to check into like what is sore. Mm-hmm. What is tight? You know what I mean? Like if I was going to go to a yoga class at a place every day, it might not address the things that I need Mm -hmm. because there's like different tightnesses or like, you know, different parts of my body that I need to work that day. I can't really stay rigid. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Especially like with the work that, that painters do, I can, I can definitely speak to this. It's like you're you're very much just either standing or sitting still other than this sort of like rotating line from your shoulder to your wrist to the canvas. And it seems that way with, with glass blowing too. No, I mean, it seems a little more physical, like a little more like full body than painting maybe, but it's also, I could see how it could translate into, you know, like chronic stiffness or just like things needing to be like kinked out or, or, you know, smoothed out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like very, like you get stuck in this forward bending position a lot because you're, it's not natural for humans to like have your arms in front of your face all day. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And so you get, you tend to like get really tight in your shoulders and like, then you get this like winging scapula thing and like sore shoulders and you get this back thing going on. So it's like, um, attending to those needs is really important. hundred percent. But then uh, also like, you don't want to forget your legs. You don't want to forget the, the cardio or whatever. So right. it's all, it's all staying, staying well rounded, but then just kind of like ask, I think knowing how to ask yourself what you need is really important instead of just going by schedule, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just being in touch with your body, I think, is is something that's super important that, like, you know, uh, many people don't take time to acknowledge or just... Yeah, are... I didn't for way too long, and so I had really... I had come to, like, a, a roadblock mm-hmm. earlier this year because, and you know, even though I was doing yoga and, like, physical therapy-type exercises, and I've always been pretty active, I, um, I hurt my leg about eight years ago mm-hmm. and so that threw off my 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 posture and my alignment which threw off my shoulders and everything like that so that's actually a, a, a huge part of my summer has been not torching so much and uh really paying attention to my body and getting it back where I'm like relearning how to torch and like relearning how to hold myself yeah. While I'm blowing glass and stuff, because we get these nasty habits and then they're really hard to break while you're working. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're, you're focused on the work. You're not, you're not putting a little bit of your attention on your body to make sure you're in the right posture or, or what have you, you know, like I find myself yeah. often like hunched, sorry, hunched over the painting, like just getting like in there to the finest detail. And then I'm like, why does my back hurt? You know, like later. Yeah. And I'm sure you stand on one leg more than the other leg. Cause you're like, yeah. it's, you know, cause you're, it's just how it's, it goes. It is more comfortable for a little bit of time. Yeah. But then you realize like, Oh, I have one hip that's tight Yeah. or like my low back hurts or whatever. 
Yeah. 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 I don't think we are active enough just as humans. It's, it's really important for me to, uh, just get that out of the way in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I do too. And it doesn't, for me, uh, definitely doesn't have to be like the same, same thing every day. But like, I also find that like getting the blood moving and, you know, whether it's cardio or, or weights or yoga or whatever, like it really helps my mind actually. Oh, absolutely. It's like kind of part it's of definitely the best rock. Yeah. 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 But weed is tight also. Hey, weed is tight. <laughs> weed's great. But those natural exercise drugs, I feel like, um, I feel much better if I do that before I smoke weed. Oh, or yeah, like before, 100%. You know what I mean? Like, like uh, oh, like I forgot about how good those drugs are. <laughs> yeah. Just it's a the, different the, thing. Yeah. The endorphins and, and the dopamine, you know, that. Yeah. And like, the, uh, just like, uh, oh, my pain's loosened up and, you know, like, cause there, inflammation is a depressant. Yeah, totally. Cortisol. And so I feel- and, yeah. I, yeah, I yeah. know enough to be just like dangerously ignorant about like talking about all that stuff, you know, like I'm like, yeah, cortisol, right. That's, that's what we're talking about. But yeah, it, it's just something that like, I think anybody who works for themselves or just really any human, any person ever listening should, uh, should consider like looking into like how to take care of yourself because it just makes the experience of living life, which is hard and can be like, you know, painful. It makes it better, you know, when you can move your body a little bit and just get into these little practices that, that helps like soothe the difficulties of life. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we're not taught that we're not, it's like, yeah, yeah college doesn't prepare you for life and then you're sitting at a computer the whole time sitting and in your whole like elementary high school career you're sitting in a desk and i'm left-handed so which a lot of artists are yeah so i sat in a right-handed desk my whole life which was like probably really dutch yeah you had to twist a little bit to like yeah like slouching all the time um yeah so i feel like uh if I was taught even just how to stand properly, yeah, you know, like I could have avoided a lot of bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I feel. But you. it's all you know, like actually, uh, microdosing has been really great for me for that. Mushrooms. A lot of people do microdosing for um, depression and anxiety and stuff, but I use it to like learn how to get inside my body more. And, mm-hmm. Like, I don't do it as much anymore, but especially when I was really um, like frustrated with my pain and I really didn't know what to do about it, um, I would microdose and it really helped me to learn like what areas of my body were talking to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm assuming you're talking about mushrooms there or. I, whatever, I mean, like I can, I like to do microdose mushrooms more often. I'm doing like, I'm cutting like a head of acid into like eight yeah, yeah, pieces, yeah. 16 pieces, depending on what, Day, what it yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. It's stronger than others. Um, yeah. But if, I'm actually really a fan of micro deem, uh, dosing like micro dmt do you have like a, a vaporizer no no i just like 
glass, you know? Okay, nice. I would, I, I just like, like just a little bit. You don't need like three, right? Like, interesting. It's fine. Go ahead and do that. But <sighs> for me, uh, if you just do a little bit, wait a few minutes, do a little bit more, go a little deeper. Um, in my experience, it like stacks my spine mm. or puts me into a yoga position that I need to be in, like automatically, like folds me into mm. whatever I need, you know? Nice. Yeah. I, I've always thought of it in one, a- one aspect of it being like, um, sort of like, uh, either a massage or some kind of, uh, beneficial surgery from the universe. Uh, the way that it feels for me, at yeah. least, like yeah, almost like you feel like a battery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're electrified, like you're being charged or something. Like you're an antenna. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Um, that's cool. I guess. I guess anything short of blasting off is a microdose, huh? Is that what you? Yeah, because <laughs> it's like hard. Yeah, yeah, and like I just, I just do it slow. You know. Yeah. Like hundred percent. Yeah. Instead of like is that tough? trying to do it all at once. Have you ever like accidentally been like, okay, I'm going to microdose, but then like you're in the adjacent dimension or whatever on accident? Well, <laughs> and if that happens, it's not so bad because right. it doesn't last that long. And you're like, look, you're just like, oh, I'm on the floor. This is what I need. It's like, yeah. you know, I, kind of think it's, I think it tells you what you need. I think it just like, um, like as I'm doing it, mm-hmm. like one time it just like, all of it's started on fire. I'm like, I guess I'm going deeper today. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Sometimes it just is like, this is what you need right now. Nice. Nice. And I, I didn't, you know, it's a businessman's trip. You can come back to real life. And I, I mean, I've even done it with friends who got on a plane an hour later and mm-hmm. went back to Paris. So. Yeah. What, one of the times I experienced it, I went to work like, couple hours afterwards and you had a great day i'm sure i did i was uh yeah it was when i was a cashier at whole foods yeah 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 i was just like chatting everybody up that came through my line and just like huge smile like you know i'm like i'm gonna look like one of the faces i saw in there and just you know um yeah you're not exhausted afterwards you know like yeah like with l you know, you need like a day of recovery when you go that deep. Yeah, hundred percent. And you're hot, you're starving and tired, and your nerves are like mm, a little frazzled there. Yeah, you know? yeah, like depending on what you did or mm-hmm. whatever. I just, I just think it's super useful. I mean, a lot of people talk about it for um, psychological things like depression and anxiety, but I feel like a lot of people have a lot of pain. And I, I think it's great for using it for your body to get inside it because a lot of people aren't feeling their pain. Right. It's just this numbness. And then they're like, why am I depressed? And it's, yeah. Or like, like you, you have a pain somewhere, but you're not realizing that the tightness is in a different area. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. It's like the, how muscles and bones stack up and yeah, something it's all down connected. the line. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. It's all connected. Um, so I think it can be really, even microdosing a little bit of L, um, I'll, I will do that before I get acupuncture. Mm-hmm. 
nice. because I'm to wake up all those neural pathways and I feel like the treatment will stick better mm -hmm. if I'm like creating these new roads to take, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, like yeah, yeah. waking different pathways. Like we don't want to be stuck in the old way. Like let's get a new That's way smart. of Right. and my acupuncturist is awesome she does house calls and she is like all about it she, i was like oh i forgot to micro those today she's like oh whatever do it next time <laughs> nice so that's really cool and i think that um you know like we were talking about how we don't have a routine but we have we just like try to feel mm -hmm. what we need or whatever and i think that um speaking about variety i think i think variety is really helpful for creativity I do too. Um, because you're creating new neural pathways. And so I think that that's why a lot of artists have a hard time sticking to routines and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So I think that we shouldn't get down on ourselves because of it. I think that we should embrace it and just know that there's these cycles that we must like be aware of and think about. Right. I, I think that, you know, the word routine could be broad, more broadly defined as just checking in and seeing what needs to be done in preparation to create your art, you know? Cause like, I don't know about you, but like the, th I've done this before, but kind of the, the thought of, unless, I mean, you know, like I said, unless I wake up just feeling like a million dollars going straight into the studio and painting, like that's, a rare thing, but sometimes it does right. happen and I'm really grateful for those days, but usually it takes some like, uh, you know, like warming up and stretching and breathing or, or whatever it is to sort of get my brain and body in the optimal state for like focused attention. Uh, yeah, I am the same exact way. But I think it's important to know that because, um, like, you know, artist style, he was talking about how he was just pushing himself too much and he had to, he had to back up and like redo things. And that's, I think that we all go through those, like, um, those experiences where we're like, no, I like need to take care of myself first because my body is my tool. And then I go to work. And yeah. I think that it's like those learning experiences that we have in our heads that that's why I need that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. But you, of course you want to go to the studio and paint, but then, you know, in your head, I will feel like shit later. Right. Or that I'm not like, I'm not in the most optimum state that I could be in. So yeah. it, it might yeah. make the experience of working not as, as nice and a little more forced. And again, there are those days where I just wake up and I'm like, I'll make a little coffee, hit the studio, let's go. But you know, a lot of times I really got to like at least touch my toes first or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I feel I have experienced jumping rope is like Ooh, really yeah. helps me. Like if I jump rope for even like 15 minutes, because that's a long time. For that's cardio. Rope. That's like pretty heavy cardio. Like you're. Yeah. I mean, I'm not like I, I take breaks and I stretch yeah. and things like that. Like I put in, I know if I'm jumping rope for an entire song, that's like a pretty good stretch. Yeah. And like do a strength workout or like thing and then i then i go back to the jump rope or whatever but that's like to me it puts me in this really like focused zone and i feel like i mean weed does that to a certain extent but it's like you have to keep reloading right mm -hmm. yeah 
yeah. and like jumping rope and like like I could probably get away with like no weed, but if I'm just jumping rope in the morning, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, focus, um, focus because of like the, the brain drugs or whatever, or whatever it's doing. And, um, my chiropractor that I had, um, she has since passed away, but she told me that anything you do with both sides of your body is waking up both sides of your brain. And so yeah. that's why I think it's really important. Yeah. Like walking, hiking, jumping rope, you know, just working out and doing doing something with both sides of your body at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we we got a dog, uh my girlfriend and I got a dog during the pandemic and just walking her two times a day for like thirty to forty five minutes each time is like super nice, you know, like it gets me outside and it's not like crazy it's not a crazy workout or anything, but like you said, just that side to side motion, like something about that just gets things moving and it's not intense. You know, it's not like you have to, you know, run a couple miles like top speed or anything like that, but it, it's sort of this nice warm up, you know? And yeah, I'm really, really grateful to have a dog. Yeah, I mean, getting inside into nature is always, I think, really important too because we're like, you know, we're human. Yeah. We need, we our natural environment is mm. outside, not yeah. inside. Yeah. And when you paint, it's really hard to paint with the sun glaring in your eyes and your paint's drying too fast. And like, yeah. you know, it's it's not really it leaves flying in your page or whatever. It's <laughs> not it's not as easy to be in nature. So I think it's yeah, you need to create that uh, brain balance. Yeah. Well. It's been great talking with you. I mean, we've already done uh, almost an hour and 40 minutes. Uh, usually what I wrap up with is um, any advice that you would have for, for younger glassblowers or even younger artists or even your a younger version of yourself. Um, I think I honestly think the most important thing and just even just for anybody in general, um, don't try to force yourself to be to do anything that anybody else does if it's not for you I think knowing yourself is super important like we're saying about like knowing what what you prefer in terms of like a routine like are you really good with a rigid schedule or are you better just does that stress you out you know I think um just knowing yourself because there's a million ways to be an artist. There are so many ways to go about doing it. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's not like a cut and dry, like, like some wall street trader, you know, that <laughs> there's a path for that maybe. Yeah. But for us, for artists, I think it's really important to just embrace your individuality and especially what makes you tick. I think that's really important. Yeah. Well, that's excellent advice. I think that's, uh, that's a good place to stop. You feel good? Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ashley. It was nice meeting you. And, um, yeah, I do. Really appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing your insights with us. Same. I had a great time. All righty. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you next time.
Thank you again for listening to another episode of RTAF Podcast. If you are interested in supporting the Patreon, that address is patreon.com slash RTAF Podcast. And I want to thank all my patrons. You guys keep this engine running. I couldn't do it without you. Go over there and check out the tiers I have available. It includes video, uh, guest suggestions, uh, patron-only posts, and some merchandise. Thank you again for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe. Do all those little things that help get RTAF into the consciousness of more and more people. Shout out.